Well, folks, a special episode here of According to Callus. I'm sitting down at the table with uh, Jeremy Ivanowski, and he is going to be running for the Congressional District 3 again. Uh, I think it'd be fair to say it's running on principle just to bring the uh, issues to the forefront and make sure that people don't forget about what's been happening. Um, so to start it all off, I'm going to give him a few minutes to kind of just introduce himself and talk about who he is, what he's doing, and why is he doing it. Go ahead, Jaron. Steven, it's an honor to be on the According to Callus uh, podcast spotlight. Um, I'll introduce myself. My name is Jeremy Avanoski. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with me, I ran in the 2022 primary against Van Taylor. Um, my campaign is the Constitution. I stand for you and I stand for our Bill of Rights. And I'm running in the 2024 primary for the same reasons I did two years ago, to save America and save the Texas 3rd Congressional District. In 2022, I got into this uh, politics, if you will, because of the mask and the shots forced upon us by the federal government. My job was on the line. Van Taylor, the then sitting U.S. rep for this district, refused to help me, so I primaried him. Fortunately, Trump-nominated federal judges struck down both mandates nationwide. And here in this campaign, 2024, I'm fighting back against a weaponized federal government. All right. So now we had talked earlier. We've been talking off and on during the primary season, if you will. And uh, we acknowledge that the incumbent is likely to be reelected. I've said many times that I kind of look forward to voting for him in November. You're my friend. I want to give you props. Having run an election that you kind of got into knowing that you can't win, but there are incredibly important issues that need to be discussed. And if you're not there, they might not be discussed. Um, would you see? Would you say that you've achieved most of your goals as far as at least getting those issues brought to the front and having an opportunity to talk about them? Yeah, so like I said, my campaign is the Constitution, and I'm, I'm never going to waver from that. And like you, being a Navy veteran, I'm a law enforcement veteran. I served for the Colony Police Department, and prior to that, I was with the Denton County Constable's Office. And I swore an oath to preserve, protect, and defend that Constitution. And even though I've been out of law enforcement seven years, it's not something that, uh, it's an allegiance I don't take lightly. In my job as a uh, flight attendant with an airline, when all the masks and shots started, um, that turned into a tyranny real quick, and flight attendants were weaponized to attack passengers for not wearing a mask. And I told the flight crews, I said, leave these people alone. These are, these are CDC edicts. It's um, guidance. These aren't laws passed by Congress. So you have no authority to uh, and, and tell people on, a ma uh, on an airplane to wear a mask. So um, well, remind me real quick, what was the rest of your question, Steve? Well, I mean, do, do you think you've accomplished your goals? Well, I'm getting I mean, those things brought up. Yeah, I mean, it's I haven't wavered from the Constitution, and it's nice to see that my opponents are now talking about it like they did at the debates. I got enough votes last time to unseat or force a runoff with a sitting U.S. rep. So if I can keep chipping away and keep hammering home the Constitution, um, like I told the audience in Greenville on February 9th, I said... Our Second Amendment specifically is the only thing keeping us semi-free, and that's one of the reasons why I was in this race last time. We need to vigorously defend uh, the Bill of Rights, specifically the first and the second. Um, I think I've made a little bit of headway. Uh, I actually got invited to the debates uh, this campaign versus last time. 
And my picture actually got put up on the big screen at some of the debates. So yeah, I am making headway. Yeah, so I have a, I have a friend of mine here locally that's run a couple of different times for municipal races. And his kind of stated goal, maybe not out front in front of the voters, but to you know friends was, hey, look, I'm running. Whether or not I win, these issues are brought up. They're forced to face them. And they're going to have to address them and they can't be ignored any further. So in that sense, I win. I got I got what I really wanted. And so I felt similar, you know, when I did my race. I um, That's what I'm looking at. If, if you're feeling comfortable or confident that you got what you thought was an attainable goal. I mean, obviously, we always have higher goals that may or may not be attainable. Um, and running against a, a solid incumbent, that's a lot tougher than if you were running against, like, say, a disgraced former incumbent uh just remind me is he still wandering around free somewhere in dc i think he went back into consulting or he might be a lobbyist now i don't oh. know if he's still in mclean virginia where he moved back to um or relocated from plano to uh i'd have to do a uh, internet search to find out where uh, mr nicholas van taylor is but um <laughs> you know I, it's just that's one of the things that you know always irks me is there, there's really no justice, right? I mean, and, and I'm going to take us off topic slightly here, but not really because it goes to the Constitution. It goes to the Bill of Rights. We have folks that, fra- uh, what is it, flagrantly ignore the Constitution or they ignore the law and they literally get away with it. If anything, they might get a slap on the wrist and, you know, say what you want about the former president. We're not exactly on... I'd say the same paragraph when it comes to President Trump, but we're certainly on the same page, right? And here's a guy that maybe wasn't my first choice, uh, but as far as I could tell, nothing he did deserves the constant barrage of the latest, you know, lawsuit or the latest uh, judgment being put upon him. And I can't wonder enough as to why that's the case. How, how did we get here? I mean... For years, we've kind of brushed things under the rug. Well, you know, they were the president. They did some things that were kind of iffy, but they're gone now. Just let it alone. You know, we don't prosecute former presidents. Not that I think that they should get, you know, a clean slate and free walk. I mean, Richard Nixon was basically disgraced. Now, we can argue whether or not that was fair or not. Lyndon Johnson, you know, he resigned rather than face some of his things. I mean, and you can even talk about Kennedy if you want, but, you know, so each time that somebody goes away, they generally go away. It's only the previous president that really never went away as far as even prior to Trump. Obama still lives downtown and has been theorized to be pulling the strings on the current resident. So yet he clearly violated all sorts of things and he got a free pass. And so again... And then, for that matter, you know, Hillary, she's still floating around. I mean, we always joke about the the Clinton kill list or the body count, right? How in the world are these people still free and wandering around? And then we get to our own Van Taylor, who, I, what, Swalwell? Is that the guy out in California? Mm-hmm. Two sitting congressmen having affairs with foreign agents, essentially, which in a previous time, they probably would have been hung for being traitors. Or at least, uh, what, what's the word? Uh, a, not agents, but, you know, marks. <laughs> I mean, they were basically marks. Maybe Swalwell willingly and 
uh, van, just whatever. But they're wandering around free, no consequences whatsoever. You know, let's talk about the like quadruple tier justice system here. The higher you go, the more you can get away with. So yeah, it's definitely a two-tiered system, and we brought that up at the Greenville debate. Um, President Trump talks about it all the time. I've got my own issue right now that uh, stemmed out of the Van Taylor uh, ordeal that I'm trying to get down to the the truth about. But uh, case in point, uh, Obama and his illegal spying on President Tr- Trump's campaign. I think he put out a Truth Social post the other day saying this is going to make Watergate, this is Watergate times 10. I mean, it's just, um, it's, my humble opinion is our country has already been overthrown by some subversives, and it's up to we, the people, to take it back from a communist regime. Uh, like President Trump states, we, we skipped the station of uh, socialism. We're on full-blown communism now. And I think there's so much infiltration at all levels whether it be Congress, um, the State House, State Senate. Um, I don't have a beat on the pulse like you do on the commissioners and the city councils and the school board, but I look at the courts. I even think the, the Supreme Court's compromised. I mean, ruling against uh, Governor Abbott being able to leave up the barbed wire. I mean, this is clearly an invasion. And I just, I wonder what's going through these people's minds. They're violating the oath to preserve, protect, and defend that Constitution. Okay, so fair enough. So, and that's, you know, just as an aside before I go to the followers, a lot of people fixate on Trump. You know, it's Trump this, Trump that. And I think to a certain degree that's fair, right? He was the former president. And depending who you're talking to, they, some people say, well, he should still be president. And he will be the next president, barring any more, uh, let's say, malfeasance. So that being said, it's about Trump, but it's not really about Trump. It's much bigger than the former president, perhaps the next president. But when you look at that and talking about people that are compromised, if if we accept that somebody is compromised everywhere, not everyone is compromised, but somebody is everywhere along the way, and we don't have secure elections. And the, the logical question is, well, what do you do next, right? So going from there, I'll, I'll give you a minute to answer that. And then I have the logical follow-up, if you will. So go ahead. All right. So uh, the question again was... Just what, do we, what do we do if we, if we assume that every level of government has some amount of corruption that it may not be over... Able to be overcome. What, what are you going to do? Well, the answer to that is we have to ditch the machines. We can't vote. If, if, there's, if every level of government is compromised or infiltrated, we can't get rid of them by voting them out. And that was one of the questions in Plano at the debate at the college was, if elected to Congress, what would you do to enhance or uh, provide us fair elections? And I rattled off that I would do, I would propose legislation to... Uh, Repeal three unconstitutional federal laws. Repeal the 2002 HAVA Act, which brought us the machines with the um, no paper, with the um, software made in other countries. Repeal the 1993 Motor Voter Act, which required people to register to vote when they got their driver's license. Well, with a wide open border and Abbott bringing in illegals, they're now getting driver's license. So that 
creates a, a faulty voter registration. And then the third one I would repeal is the uh, 86 Absentee Act, which um, compromises mail-in ballots. So I, I don't think we can get rid of a lot of the swamp or toxicity um, by just continuing to vote. I don't know. I think there's two sides of the same coin. A lot of I, That's why Trump and I, and I hate to pound our own chest, but we're outsiders. And I think one reason why they're persecuting him is he's outside the swamp. I think one reason I'm dealing with issues is because I'm not a local GOP insider. I don't go to the, the GOP events. Uh, when I started going to events, I noticed something was going on, and then it led to my... Yeah, uh, so there's some challenges, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the GOP is not perfect. I've said many, many times publicly that you know I'm a reluctant Republican. I'm far more liberty oriented than the average Republican, and quite frankly, even most of the members of the executive committee. That being said, it's fair to say we're both Ron Paul guys, right? Mm, we're, oh, absolutely. We're, yeah, you know, some people would call us liars. Ron Paul, not so much Rand Paul, because well, he's club for growth. Well, but Ron Paul, yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. Go. Well, yeah. I had to get that poke in. <laughs> I just... <laughs> but, you know, but think about it. Think about it. Seriously. In Congress, we've got Thomas Massey. And who? I, 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 I like Thomas Massey. He was one of the... He was the only Republican to vote against the... It Was it voting uh, to send money to Israel? Or it might have been... Oh, crud. I'm getting my roll call votes confused. But he... he Stands out from the rest of the GOP. Okay, well, you're not allowed to talk about not giving money to Israel because then you're an anti-Semite. Uh, okay, so we're going to just pretend that never happened. I'm sorry, I had to put that in there, folks. Or a Christian Zionist. Okay, anyway. <laughs> I like no, the According no. to Kellis podcast because we can come on here and talk like Midwesterners. I'm a Midwesterner at heart, and Stephen, of course, is a Midwesterner. So, so but, but the reality is, is we're funding all these outside adventures and wars which that's a separate issue maybe we'll touch on that in a little bit but so in congress you have thomas massey and in the senate well you got Rand paul yeah and, Rand and paul. again we would both say he's not his father mm-hmm. but when it comes to the rest of them i, I mean after that maybe mike lee may, maybe ted cruz and then we're out. I can't think of anybody else. Well, Marsha Blackburn, she's okay, but I we I think we need hard charging people like Ron Pauls, and he's not so hard charging. He's not a Lowen Bobart or Marjorie Taylor Greene, but he's he's elegant and he's a statesman and he gets the point across. Um, who else in the Senate? Um, well, look at the vote last week for uh, what more aid to Ukraine. I mean. Uh, how many more senators jumped on the bandwagon? I think Kennedy out of Louisiana caved. Of course, don't even get me started on Turncourt Cornyn. But I I just, other than uh, Rand Paul in the Senate, maybe Mike Lee. uh, Yeah. So, so, all right, so before, I guess... Let's let's jump into. We're running the, out of folks. <laughs> well, right, right. But let's let's jump into the really what the goal of this is. You're elected to Congress, right? You're one of 435 guys or, or ladies and gentlemen there. However, just you know, we want to make sure we don't offset people. Think we're being exclusionary. But 
So you're elected to Congress, you go there, there's 434 other members of Congress. Realistically, as a singular member of Congress, what is it that you can do to safeguard liberty? What is it you can do to push back at the machine? I mean, realistically. Well, number one, uphold my oath. Every one of those representatives and senators, when they're sworn in, they take the oath. And I think that's codified. Uh, you caught me off guard. Well, but just yeah. to, for clarity, go ahead yeah. and look it up. But for clarity, we're talking about the oath to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And, and while you're looking it up, because I, I don't remember what the article and section is off the top of my head either. But Congress has a little bit different oath than what I took when I enlisted. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it becomes real tough when you're dealing with domestic enemies. And I had a, I remember having a heart-to-heart -heart with a Army uh, veteran was over in the sandbox and he was you know just heartbroken about the time that he spent there and what it you know what it did to him what it, he came home and he just was questioning everything and i asked him about his oath and i said so realistically you're in a position you have to determine who's the enemy is it the american people because that's what the government's going to tell you it's the american people but what if it's the people in the chain of command what if it's the people that hold office and they become the domestic enemy They've redefined everything. I mean, for God's sake, we got people that took an unauthorized tour of the Capitol, sitting in solitary confinement and having their rights routinely ignored and abused. Meanwhile, we had the summer of love where they burned down cities and attacking police stations. Those people are running free. And oh, let's not forget, the vice president was raising money mm -hmm. for them to get to them out on bail, yeah. right? So did you find that article? <laughs> yeah, it's article. I'm sorry, I hadn't. That's okay. I hadn't recited it in a while, but it's Article Six. I think it's Clause Three. The senators and representatives um, shall execute. Let's see. Uh, shall be bound by oath or affirmation to support this Constitution, but no religious test shall ever be uh, required. So, uh, number, I mean, and it's codified. I think it's 5 U.S.C. 3331, which is the actual verbiage that they raise their right hand and they attest to on the House floor. And I'm a Ron Paul guy. I, if, if elected to Congress, I would be the doctor no. I didn't stay at a holiday, or I, I'm not a doctor, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. So, any legislation that is um, sponsored or co-sponsored would have to meet the constitutional test. Is it constitutional? Is it needed? And can we afford it? And I'm glad you brought this up, Stephen, because right here I have the National Right to Life Committee survey uh, on abortion. And then we get into some other questions and it's yes or no. And if you don't answer it, then you kind of just get marked off. Well, what I would do is I would answer yes and no, and then put in brackets explaining my answer that I would have to read the proposed legislation. You can't just ask me a question on here and go, oh yeah, uh, rubber stamp that yes. I think that's what most uh, politicians do is they just go along to get along. I would, like Thomas Massey, read every uh, word of that bill and make sure it passes the constitutional test. Yeah, so to that point, um, years ago I read a book um, by L. Neil Smith, and he's a hardcore libertarian, and he gave the best argument, the only one that's ever persuaded me, by the way, of why there would be some negative effects if you went ahead and banned abortion nationwide. 
Basically, his argument was, is how would you possibly enforce that? Do you want to let the police start investigating whether or not people are pregnant? Do you want them to investigate every time a pregnancy is lost? Do you want to empower the, basically the uh, medical professionals with a requirement to notify if you're pregnant or if you should lose your child under mysterious circumstances or unknown circumstances? Do you want to create a police state merely to prevent people from doing this? Now, I will be honest, over time I've kind of come to realize that that's uh, what I would call a extreme example or uh, an example of using absurdity to prove a point, if you will. But I think it's valid in that I don't want a police state, period, for whatever reason. And if it means that there are some let's say bad women out there that want to go kill their babies, uh, I'm trusting that they'll meet their eternal reward or penalty. I'm not comfortable with creating a police state to go hunt them down or hunt down the doctors. But it seems to me if the state just would say, hey, this is illegal. We're not going to allow that in the state of Texas. Hey, but you go on a trip to Nevada or New Mexico and while you're there, I mean, if you're that interested in killing your baby, I'm not gonna. I mean, I'm not gonna go to that end. But well, that brings up a good point, and that's why I'm glad Roe v. Wade was struck down and remanded back to the states under the Tenth Amendment with the Dobbs v. Jackson decision. So Texas has, I think it was Senate Bill 963 or 968, the Heartbeat Bill. And now uh, people that came up with that law are catching flack for what do we do about the mother or if it's rape, incest, or the mother's life. Well, then the Texas legislature needs to deal with that and maybe amend it. But yeah, we don't, we don't need a police state because if you can make a police state over abortion, you can make a police state over vaping or firearms. You can make everything a federal issue, which segues into my next thing. If I was a congressman, it's we need to rein in a weaponized federal government and rein in the unconstitutional spending. Our founding fathers didn't want us meddling in the affairs of others. We don't need to be sending aid to three or four different countries right now where our own borders uh, open and our country is being systematically destroyed. Okay. So I've talked about that more than once, right? We don't defend our own border. We spend oodles of money and machinery and materials to go defend the Ukrainian border and to a lesser extent the Israeli border, but do nothing about the border of Texas. So you're a U.S. congressman. You've got your single vote. You're going to go advocate for these things. You're going to make noise. You're going to advocate and you're going to come home to Texas and basically remind them, I'm only one. So what, what's the... Well, I'm going to remind them that I stuck to the Constitution that I swore an oath to, and you knew my platform when y'all elected me or sent me to Washington, D.C., is because it's, you know, the Constitution and individual liberty, I, I guess over the decades we've become so accustomed to big government and government interference that people don't want to remember their own individual rights. They want the big government to save them. So you have to just dial it back and kind of emphasize to people, hey, this is about individual liberty, not necessarily the government managing your life from cradle to grave. Yeah, so essentially the, the United States government or the federal government, whole cloth has abandoned the Constitution. 
they violate the entirety of the restrictions put upon them in there. And we're now left with a situation that we've got, we'll call it an administrative state, uh, which runs the country. So there's a joke, and I don't know if you've seen this, but it says, uh, what do you call a group of Karens? Answer, an HOA. What do you call a group of HOAs? Answer, a city. What do you call a group of blue cities? Mm. Uh, blue states. You know, so, <laughs> and on up the line. Right. So Brian McClanahan, you're familiar with him, I assume? Um, no. Okay, so you, you got to check yeah. out his podcast. Okay. I highly recommend it. Okay. He you said, do mention it often. Yeah, right, exactly. So he says we shouldn't be calling them Karens. We should just call them Yankees. And as a reformed Yankee, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Well, I mean, but think about it. Uh, people from the Northeast think they know better than everybody. And that mindset has permeated the entirety of the culture. And they went so far as to go subjugate 11 other states that had the audacity to say we want to do it our own way. Then they tried to go remake the states. Then they forced those states for an opportunity to rejoin the union that they didn't want to be in in the first place in order to give up the military dictatorship they were living under, they put a, a gun to their head and said, you have to agree to these amendments in order to be readmitted. Oh, and you all have to swear an oath of allegiance and all the people that were your leaders are no longer eligible to serve. So Yankees have got a long-term track record of doing this. So again, your premise is if we would just De devolve the power of the federal government and so again as a congressman realistically what can you do other than openly advocate for that maybe try to get other representatives uh, like in the house freedom caucus I, I would want to be on the house freedom caucus um, I don't know I think and this is where you and I may differ on President Trump but I think he's aligned with Andrew Jackson Andrew Jackson uh, vetoed a bill to reinstitute the second central bank. And I think he kept the states out of the Civil War, which eventually led, uh, what led up to the Civil War? Not Lincoln, it, who was, Can uh, was it Buchanan? I think he was the president going into... Buchanan prior to uh, Lincoln? Yeah. Uh, sounds right. It, but what's interesting is, and I don't know if you're aware of this, under when they seceded, there was no war, mm. and the secession itself. And this is a, a distinguishing characteristic that gets lost on a lot of people because they'll say, "What caused the Civil War?" Well, the knee-jerk answer is slavery. No, that's not Which technically. Nikki Haley didn't even know the answer. Well, but, you know. it's Nikki Haley. <laughs> was she born here? I think she was, but her parents weren't citizens. Correct. Yes. Okay. That being said. <laughs> You know, what's interesting is actually new citizens typically know our history better than the natural born citizens. Yes. That being said. Uh, <laughs> I looked at that citizenship when oh, my geez. former brother-in-law had to take the test. I think it was a test bank of 100 questions. And I was like looking over it going, man, I'd have to get back in my I, eighth grade history book. Yeah, I'm telling you, I don't think the high schoolers could pass it. But no. then again. So, but interesting thing is that when they seceded largely over economic reasons. The primary economic reason was their slave economy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the secession yeah. was driven by slavery, but the war was driven by Lincoln didn't want to let him go. And he kept pro provoking a response out of them, which is why he went to the trouble of going ahead and uh, resupplying Fort Sumter. And there's one other, I think it might've been Pensacola. But so that all gets lost in the history books and 
Lincoln is on record saying he couldn't care less about slavery. And it was only brought up as a war extingency, right? So again... Well, even the founding fathers had slaves, but they knew in their writings and their speeches that they were eventually going to phase out this horrible practice. Are we getting back to my original your original question? I'm trying to. I keep getting on these segues because I, 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 I haven't seen this guy yeah, in forever, and but, so. You know, but it's fun because we can talk about this stuff, and it directly impacts everything that's happening today. Mm-hmm. The Civil War brought about the federal state, the the the, the monstrosity on the Potomac, and that was only capitalized by Wilson and then Roosevelt. And then well, landslide I'm you, Linden. I'm glad you brought this up because you brought up the administrative state. And this was one of my answers in Greenville on February 9th was, what would you do as a single congressman? And I brought up, we should amend or repeal the Administrative Procedures Act of 1946. And I believe that was a Democrat out of Nevada named McLaren, which the Vegas airport was once named after. But that's what gives all these three-letter agencies their rule-making authority. And I brought up the examples of the CDC, FBI, uh, ATF. For instance, the CDC, they were using their rule-making authority to say you had to wear a mask, you had to take a... um, emergency authorized mRNA, mRNA injection. The ATF is saying a piece of plastic. Well, well, I got I got it here. Yeah. The ATF, they're so special they have five letters now. Oh, excuse me. B-A-T-F-E and there's no uh, there's no Q, anyway. <laughs> Any well, of the other A, B, C, D, F, T, okay. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Explosives. But, but it's funny. Somebody else brought this up. So if you think about it, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, right? So what are three primary trade items that are difficult to, to tax? Yeah, and you need to show government ID to buy uh, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. And you know, double check or fact check me on this, but I believe that's just nothing but a holdover agency from the Bureau of Prohibition. I believe you're correct. And after Prohibition was repealed, correct me if I'm wrong, with the 22nd Amendment... They, for a minute, went over to the FBI, and Hoover was like, no, I don't want you. And then I think they went to the Treasury, and they've just kind of evolved. And then in 72, I think it became the ATF. So, I mean, when these three-letter agencies can just use their rulemaking authority to decide for us, you know, I blame Congress for um, delegating their authority to these unelected bureaucrats that just have free reign. And I, that's one thing I would do as a member of the 435 in the House is maybe repeal or abolish. But I've got it. You've got to get a team of like-minded, hard-charging patriots. And this goes back to none of that's going to happen until we fix 2020. You have to get rid of the machines, single-day ballots, paper, watermarked, same-day voting, voter ID. Because I, I, our current system, I don't think. We'll never get who we want in there with the machines. Well, it should be noted that even when we had paper ballots, there was cheating. Oh, yeah. It just like, wasn't as good and as effective. Oh, yeah. I mean, Landslide Lindenden got his nickname because of his... Oh, yeah. 1948, it came out that he was cheating. And then, I mean, I think there was even cheating during the American Revolution days. Yeah. Well, certainly or after early the Clinton. Civil War, the, uh, the uh, what is it, the Grand Army of the Potomac would go settle in areas that were under con- contested... A leadership and they would mandate an outcome essentially and then of course there's the uh, 1960 election which was clearly stolen 
from and, Nixon. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. then you could go revisit 20, or two, 2000. I mean, Bush v. Gore. Yeah, I mean, Gore, yeah. we don't really know what happened there, but, you know, nobody's really interested in finding out the truth. So my question is, is it really the machines that, that is the problem or is it the software that we have no control over, we can't see and it can't be audited that causes the problem? Uh, well, I, I voted at Armstrong Middle School, which is, uh, I, I'm an Armstrong alumni. It's no longer the Armstrong Apaches. It's the Armstrong Tigers. Go figure. But anyway, <laughs> I was voting there not too long ago. I think it was a city race. But um, I asked the election clerk, hey, is this tied to the internet? Or And she couldn't give me a straight answer. And I was just like, oh, I won't poke the bear on that one. But it just raised eyebrows because everything's plugged in. Trump put out a post either yesterday or today talking about the machines in 2023. The machines were flipping votes. And my dad was uh, interviewed for a Dallas Morning News article because he lives down south of 635. I try not to go south of Campbell, but um, he was at the voting booth and he doesn't vote a straight ticket. And he saw on the machine it flip his vote. And he'd go to the next page, click all the answers, and then he'd go to the summary page, and his answers were all flipped. So I think it's just an amalgamation of everything. I don't know. I, I put this on my Facebook a few months ago. I think it was the Iowa caucus. They did it in a cafeteria with paper notes like you would write in middle school, passing notes. Sure. And they were counting them at the front desk and throwing them throwing them in a popcorn bucket so if we have to resort to doing that at the local level the thing with the machines is i think they go to a central server right they're not all precinct level so you probably know i, more I, ser I served as an election judge in 2022 okay and i will tell you that in the location i was at all the actual voting machines are not plugged into anything but power. Okay. Now, does that mean that they're bulletproof? No, I can't swear to that. Then the actual tabulation machine, that is plugged in. To my knowledge, it has got no connection to the outside. Okay. However, they have the poll books because in Collin County, we have the ability to go vote at any voting center in the entirety of the county. So all the poll books are connected to a central server and they update automatically as somebody comes in to vote. So in theory, it prevents somebody from double voting because they can keep track of who voted in this location and they don't get to run across town and vote in another location. So myself, regardless of what anybody else says, I think that's fantastic. If you've got a poll book that's separate from everything else, in other words, you don't get a ballot until we've confirmed that you haven't voted in the poll book. Mm -hmm. Now, the uh, early voting and all that's a separate issue. But as far as just straight up poll books, that's I, I would fight tooth and nail on that because that's the only way we can ensure that somebody's voted and they voted once. How about just go back to voting in your precinct? Well, you could do that. Because I remember that. I could only vote at either Dooley Elementary or Armstrong Middle School. I couldn't go to somewhere in McKinney or Allen or Parker. So I'll answer that because yeah. I'm privy to this. And, okay. and this... I know this is a little off topic, but it's no, important no, no, I because like it. I'm it, it's so we have, I believe the number is 252 precincts in Collin County. Every precinct having a voting machine would necessitate how many voting machines? Because you're going to have to have more than one. So let's just say it's four. 
So you're going to need at least a thousand voting machines, whether they're cheapo just slots or whatever. And then you're going to need a laptop for the poll books in 252 slots. And on top of the cost with that and the applications there, every location is required to have two judges, um, one from each party, a uh, like a secretary or somebody to check people in, at least one. And then, uh, in theory, a poll watcher or somebody else. So, in theory, you're going to have to have four people for each location. So, now you have to have a thousand volunteers. And I can tell you firsthand, we're lucky to get 300 volunteers. Would it be unconstitutional from the Texas constitutional um, mindset to pay these people? or They already get paid. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, it's well, not so a lot they're of paid money. volunteers. Well... Yes, let's call them temporary employees. Okay. So, but um, there's not exactly a long list of people that want to do that for what you get paid. And let's just say it's a 10 hour work day. Say you, even if you're getting paid $20 an hour, you're not. I think I got paid $12 an hour or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's not a lot of money. And I didn't do it for the money. I did it because it was the right thing to do mm -hmm. and I, they needed somebody. That being said, the, the reality is Right now, we don't have enough people willing to give up the time to do that. Okay, and then part of that, and revisiting the previous issue, is when you have basically two weeks of early voting, you don't need a thousand volunteers, I'm sorry, temporary employees. You actually need two or 3,000 because people won't take off that much time to go work at a polling booth. You're gonna need multiple volunteers. So now you're looking at, let's say, just on the low end, 3,000 temporary employees to work for the county to man the poll booths. Now, what I would say would be interesting, maybe a uh, an amalgam, if you will, we have four um, commissioner's courts or four commissioner precincts. And if you were to say, we're going to put up poll stations per your commissioner's precinct, and you must go to your commissioner's precinct and we're going to have you know five locations or ten locations per commissioner's precincts now you've got 40 locations i don't know what the total is right off the top of my head i want to say there was 50 but i mean you can make the number whatever it is and then make that commissioner precinct responsible for finding those people and getting in that so quasi decentralized Right. Okay. I, it's in theory, it's plausible. I mean, let's face it. You've got uh, two of the precincts that have a, well, actually three now that have a whole lot of rural area, right? And the rural voter tends to go vote for our people, so we don't mm -hmm. want to disenfranchise them. But on the flip side, most of them are also used to having to drive into town to do anything. Mm -hmm. So, say you live on the outskirts of Wiley or Saxe out there, and they don't put one out in Levon, but they've got, you know, something up 78 and then they got something at Farmers Hall. So mm -hmm. if you've got even, let's say there's the four, there's the big four. And then I guess there's if we include Wiley Saxe, Princeton Farmersville, Anna Melissa and then Prosper Salina. What is that? Another eight. So, I mean, you could conceivably just do pull outfits in those eight have a couple locations each one of those and then have you know 
eight or ten in McKinney, Frisco, Allen, and Plano and cover everything and do it well. I don't know that I'm comfortable with leaving that with the municipal people to run the races, especially partisan primaries. But certainly for a municipal race, they already contract with the county. Most people don't know that. The county runs all the elections, but those cities choose to contract with them. There's nothing to prevent a city or school district from using the county to run their elections. They can do whatever they want. So one of the things that has come up in the last few months is what you were talking about is going to paper ballots, right? So that's something that has to be proven out. I mean, it's one thing to do a, like a, a little road show to prove it out, but if you actually did it on a live election, so say you take a city like Farmersville or a school district in Princeton, or, you know, these are smaller population centers. So let's say they're gonna have 800 voters. And I don't know if that's a fair number, but ballpark at a thousand. And do it with the paper ballots. Do a test run, see how it works. And are they satisfied that they got an accurate count and everything went, you know, went according to plan and they were able to properly man everything? If that works, I, then maybe we can move that up the chain, right? Maybe we do it in McKinney, in Frisco next, or perhaps we try it in Allen. Allen's roughly half the size. Would of, that be fixed at the Texas legislature level or does the county elections and the county commissioners have the... I don't know where that, as far as... Well, we're way off the yeah. the, the uh, federal piece of this, but yeah. so far as I understand, a lot of this is controlled by the state. Mm -hmm. The state has allowed some authority to the county, so the county can do certain things. And I will tell you, our county is not enthusiastic about the paper ballot you know, mm. and the hand count, only because of, of practical reasons. Well, right? I bring this up for two reasons. Sure. One... I hate to get back to Trump, all my Trump-loving <laughs> people on the podcast or that are going to hear this, but uh, Trump did a social, a true social post the other day about France went to this, and though I'm not a Macron fan because he's a globalist, that's, they ended up with Macron again, and then I think his post today posted that 18 machines went down in 2023 at polling places, and so... Paper doesn't fail, but it, it has its drawbacks. But he did mention the technology and watermarked ballots has come a long way. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the easy fix is. It, I, that, maybe the military can run it. Well, I, <laughs> or is that a whole other rabbit well, hole in Canada? They did that after the War of Northern Aggression and didn't work out so well. Oh, first. okay. But all right. <laughs> hey, you know your history better than I do. So yes, but you are at least as good or better Keeping than me the Constitution. Yeah. Yeah. So. Suffice it to say, there's not really a simple solution. There's not really a pat solution. There are multiple solutions. There's multiple options we could try and should try. Because again, this goes back to 2020. 2020 yeah, if 15, we can't fix 2020, yeah. we'll have zero confidence going forward. So interestingly enough, in Argentina, where this guy Malay was elected, and look, we still don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy, but let's just say he's not his predecessors, yeah. right? And he's not like the people that took over Venezuela. So mm. we're going to give him a pass on that, right? But they only were able to make that happen because they did away with the corrupt machines. So I've often asked, is, you know, because I, I'm friends, acquaintances with a lot of people where this is their primary, most important issue. And I asked them, I said, well, you're going to have to count the ballots. You're going to use a machine to count the ballots. You, you have no other reason or no other option. And... 
That's so, the tabulator, the box you correct. slide the paper the into. You, so if we use like a Scantron, which is what we used to have essentially, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you feed it through a Scantron, and that is open source software that does the computing and counting of all those ballots, it would seem to me that's quite simple. And that everybody should be able to live with that. Now whether or not we're going to do the little Scantron darkening a dot, or we're going to be okay with a computer generated dot, I don't know. I don't know what the best answer is, but we're always going to use some kind of mechanical tabulator because there's no way we're going to be able to count. And this is nothing I brought. So there's 1.2 million people in County County, roughly. We're going to say roughly 600,000 of them are of voting age. And we're going to say roughly half of those will show up and actually vote. That means there's 300,000 voters. I'm not confident that even if we have a thousand volunteers on election night that they're going to be able to go through 300,000 ballots. Now keep in mind, it's not 300,000 votes because there might be as few as five mm -hmm. contested elections or yeah. there might be as many as 20 questions. Mm -hmm. So now it's five or 20 times yeah. that number. So it's a huge thing to do and it's a simple one, one uh, outcome ballot in France. And the vast majority of the population of France is in Paris. So it's very centralized, which is part of France's problem. But of course, we're duplicating that here now too, right? Mm -hmm. so, that, so that goes back to the greater question. You're in Congress. You're going to advocate for these things. You're going, to, you're going to keep holding the line there. But realistically, at the end of the day, there's only so much that can be done by one person at the federal level. Well, and for elections, this is one of the questions I got in Plano. It goes back to, I would repeal these unconstitutional federal laws that screwed up the whole system. In the Constitution, it says the times and manner are prescribed by the state legislatures, but that Congress can make a law or regulation. I just, I'm big into let's keep this local. Let's keep it, let's blame it on the legislature or the county commissioners. We don't need the overbearing federal umbrella. Yes. Let me pause. I got to deal with a pet here. Okay, Man, I love this. I keep going as long as you want to. This is fun. Because, <laughs> Stephen, this is stuff I don't get to talk about at these neutered, sanitized debates. Well, I didn't get to pull off uh, a congressional debate this go-round. Uh, I would have loved to have done that. And Did they not let you? Were they no, I, it wasn't. Them? It just I didn't have the time wow. and the bandwidth to make it happen. And I got to be honest. I know Keith would have went for it. I'm fairly certain Suzanne would have went for it. I know you would have been all oh, on board. Yeah. What is it, John Poro and then Trey Penny? Mm -hmm. I, I think they'd be foolish not to show up. But honestly, we could probably spend an hour just doing the congressional candidates. And do Dude, we... I would pay you or <laughs> get on my knees and propose to you to... Uh, with just one more shot, man. You know what I turned down tonight? I didn't even answer. I was not going to go to the... Oh, are we still on? Yeah. Oh, hello. <laughs> yeah, no, just, it's okay. But what I want to, what I want to revisit here is, so you know I'm a Texateer, right? Yes. Okay. So going off the assumption that we can't fix the federal situation, right? Mm-hmm. If we were to somehow, because we, we kind of have fun with our fantasy time with Jeremy in Congress, right? Mm -hmm. And we realize that it's, Probably, I wouldn't call it a dead end, but it would be a principled uh, barking at the moon, essentially. <laughs> You're not going to change anything. Fair enough? Um, no, the people have got to, the people, I think the people, 
like an alcoholic or an addict or something. I think the people got to hit rock bottom and to take their country back. Um, this is why I think people, well, we can differ, but I think people got to get behind President Trump like he, like um, Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson kept the union together because he got, the people got behind him. I, I, I mean, I can, I can go to the... No, but your point, right? So there's things you can do, but realistically, you're not going to be able to change the law. You need a ban to hard-charging patriots in, right. in Congress. Which and, we don't have. Well, yeah, I know, and there's only a... And it doesn't mean loose cannons or just free will. It's very structured. I mean, I just Ron Paul, he's very... Right. We need more Ron Pauls. Yeah, but realistically, even if you had, what is it, 350 Ron Pauls in D.C., the administrative state would probably have them disappeared. <laughs> yeah, but with that many Ron Pauls, you could probably uh, amend the Administrative Procedures Act and neuter or abolish those three-letter administrative okay. agencies. So, you, so you've brought up those federal laws multiple times. Now, I want you to think about this. Were you aware that the state of Hawaii Supreme Court basically just told SCOTUS to go pound sand and that the federal law was not binding I believe you mentioned that on last night's podcast. Yeah. According, yeah. Yeah. So what I find fascinating about them, well, granted, I'm not enthusiastic about the thing they chose to ignore. However, they have now set the stage for potentially any state to just say, well, you know what? Our constitution says this and we're not going to listen to what you have to say. Go pound sand. We're doing our own thing in our state. So case in point, You've got these federal laws, which are clearly unconstitutional, and for whatever reason, SCOTUS chose not to deal with them in the past or gave them a free pass because, you know, why did they keep their nine justices? If the, I don't know, the state of Oklahoma, because apparently they have bigger ones than the state of Texas, their court were to say, yeah, that's fine, SCOTUS, you've made your opinion, but we're going to say we're going to do this instead because what we're... We have a co-equal constitution, and we're a co-equal court as far as Oklahoma is, and we're going to do this, and tough luck. I mean, it goes both ways, which was kind of the beauty of the decision that they gave when they struck down Roe v. Wade. They clearly stated that, well, this is not a federal issue. It's appropriate for the states, and to that end... The states have leeway to do what they want here. Well, that and Roe v. Wade was a bad decision from the get-go. Well, of I course. I mean, that was just federal encroachment. Yeah, so... I don't know. I think decisions like the one out of Hawaii, if that keeps going, you know, we're going to have balkanizations all over the United States, and it's just going to probably lead to... But would it not violence. be... Violence. Well, would it not be fair to say we already have that balkanization? Yeah. I mean, think about it. What, what New we York, have, California. Yeah, what we have now is a universal boot on everybody's neck. I mean, to one degree or another. But so Colorado decided to quit enforcing laws on drugs, as did Washington. And they literally got away with it. Nobody cared. Multiple other cities have said, yeah, we're just, we're going to let illegals come here. We don't care. And there's nothing you can do. In fact, we're not, we're going to not even help you enforce the federal law. And again, they got away with it. Yet, the people in Missouri pass a law, or was it Kansas? It doesn't matter. And they said, hey, well, you know, if we're going to make these firearms accessories and they're made in this state and sold in this state, federal law doesn't apply. Yet, guess what? 
the federal people came in, of course, but the state choked. They did nothing. They didn't protect their own people. They didn't care enough about their own standing because they were on the right. It's only the right that chokes. The left Again, seemingly just keeps doing whatever they want. This goes back to rigged elections. I don't know how to. I mean, I don't know how to get these. I mean, how do we? How do we? These people that are selling us out, even at a state legislature, how can you vote them out? You have a challenger come up, which I think is a same side or the. A, the same coin, different side. I don't know. I so you it's know, mind-boggling. I'm glad you're spurring my. <laughs> so you're familiar with a meme generator, right? Yeah. And you've seen the meme generator where it's got the guy with two red buttons, mm-hmm. and he's doing the sweaty. Mm-hmm. T- tonight's uh, episode actually it popped up probably about five o'clock. Okay. Has that meme with new boss, old boss, and then Republican primary voter on the bottom. Yes. Because that's what we got to deal yes. with every time. Well, and I did a Facebook reel on the um, Speaker of the House, and it was set to uh, the Who. Uh, <laughs> Won't get fooled again? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, I was going to elaborate on that. I also did a meme with that same picture, and it was um, Democrat, Republican, one on each button, and then down at the bottom, or I think it said Uniparty 1, Uniparty 2, I think is what I said. <laughs> And I know I'm not right, or I'm not talking, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs when you have current members of Congress like Matt Rosendale in um, Montana even saying it's a uniparty. And now my opponents are still mentioning in their post uniparty. So I don't know if they're stealing some of my agenda, but whatever. (laughs) But I think it'd be fair to say that the average person kind of knows what we're dealing with at this point, right? Mm, You and I aren't average. Well, but what I mean is the average voter, or I should say this, the average person doesn't vote anymore. And the reason why they don't vote is because I'm screwed with that team and I'm screwed with that team. Both teams are going to screw me. And why would I vote for either one of them? And they sit out. And, you know, as a good Republican, it's a challenge to convince people that, well, the Republicans are less bad, or the Republicans in some cases are legitimately good. You need to support these people because they are fighting the good fight. They are doing the right thing. And then we have, they all fold like a cheap suit well, and the they, speaker told them do X, Y, or Z. Well, and this came up at the Greenville debate. They said, um, I said, where is the 2022 midterm red wave. I said, they're nothing but a bunch of rhinos. I said, they talked that up so big, like it was going to be life changing. And a lot of them unfolded. And so, yeah, and <laughs> we, yeah. Well, to, to, a cert- to a certain extent though, realistically, anybody that goes to Congress is going to be I'd like to see more Thomas Massey's, at least. Right. More Ron Paul's, and I would be that guy. You might not like how I voted on something, but by golly, I stuck to this document that I swore an oath to. And I would, I don't know. You know what's sort of sad, Stephen, is that the three debates that I attended, this was on my table, and I think maybe one. By that, you mean your little pocket constitution. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking this is video, too. (laughs) Yeah, folks, I... I brought this up. Uh, well, the debates were on TV or photographed, but um, yeah, my pocket constitution, I think maybe one left my table. And I was just like, 
What have I got to do to wake people up? This is the supreme law of the land. This is the only thing keeping us free right now. What have I got to do? Go do the whole Johnny Carson. I put this to your forehead <laughs> thing. Karnak. Karn, is it Karnak? Yeah. I was going to say osmosis. So, so, but yeah. yeah. Well, let's, but to your point, let, let's, let's focus in on this for just a second. So aside from the First Amendment and the Second Amendment, and you can argue which one is more effective in maintaining our liberty, because if you can't talk about liberty, it's not there. And if you can't last ditch defend that liberty, it's not there. So the two work hand in hand. And the problem is we on the right, and I, and I use that term loosely because people define it differently, but people on the right, we just keep taking it. And we keep accepting it and we keep moving the bar and we just keep taking loss after loss after loss. And one of the things that I've talked a lot about is the idea that we got to quit compromising away. I mean, yes, you compromise, but you compromise a win, right? Well, I didn't get everything I wanted, but I got 50% or I got 51%. I'll take it and move on to the next thing. But when every time we take 30% or 22% and we're trying to sell it as a win, and then we wonder how did we get to where we're at, it's a loss every time. So the corollary to that is, uh, I've talked about the idea that we don't have a culture of independence anymore, right? We've had at least two generations that went through and all they learned is how to be more dependent, right? The entire culture is about dependence and yeah, exactly. You know, so the idea being that we no longer stand by the things that created us and put us in a good position. You know, I, I've often used, you're familiar with DEI, right? Yes. Okay. Well, the I, FAA just instituted it. <laughs> and that was shot down in a Republican amendment to ban it. So that, going back to the Rhino Red yeah. Wave Congress, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, so DEI, yeah. while we're at it, you know, the Republicans signed off for renaming all the the, uh, the forts. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. The, and the, the army military installations. Yeah. yeah. That's how that's... But because they... They're, well, hey, they're just removing Democrat names, so it's okay. Mm, yeah, that's the, the answer. Or their, yeah, yeah but, justification. So, so I, I relabel DEI, right? It's diversion, inversion, and exclusion. So they divert your attention to something that's usually meaningless. Then they invert whatever it is... And then when you don't go along, they exclude you and you're out. And mm, that makes sense. I mean, and, I'm sorry, I've got it backwards. I changed the, the acronym of yeah, DIE. Yeah. Oh, okay, it's yeah, supposed yeah. to be DEI. <laughs> Diversion. I caught it, but I didn't want I was yeah. like, well, it, you're the other host. Uh, exclusion. Exclusion. And inversion. Yeah. Because they've now inverted everything. What was previously good is now bad, and what was bad is now good. I mean, look no further than. Or will. Well. <laughs> and well, that's I've, a clown world right there. I mean, yeah. good is bad and bad is good and left is right and right is wrong. But yeah, I think all of that goes back to ideological subversion. Like uh, same yeah. Zuri Bezmanov talked about. That's how you demoralize and destroy a country without firing a shot. So so, so we've got, I don't know, five, ten minutes left. Okay. I've, I've chewed up a lot of your time. No, I, I'm very, I'm humbled <laughs> to all the listeners that... Yeah. <laughs> Callus has had me on. This has been fun. I wish I could do this more often. So l let's game this out just a bit. I've been told that if Texas were to actually go to move to secession or secede, that we would never be let go and that they would force us by arms to stay in. 
So if I were to put that to you, what do you think the likelihood of that actually occurring that they would try and force us to stay in today's day and age? Um, well, I mean, I'm not asking you to take a side. Just do you, do you think it's like, like the, uh, like the Texas national guard being, uh, federalized or the no. Texas military department taking on federal troops or just by whatever means the fed say, no, you're not going to go. and We're not going to let you go. Do you think there, do you think there's enough, uh, will to take action in that regard. In I think state. if we get President Trump back, we can keep the uh, union intact. <laughs> yeah, okay. And that's where my opponents the other night in Greenville said we can't wait on President Trump. And I said, well, I said... Um, they have a point to... But the flip, the flip side is... Maybe rephrase the question. Even so if, so yeah. say we get Trump there. Uh-huh. In four years from now, Trump's gone. And Texas says, okay, we had our last-ditch effort to make things work with President Trump. The reality is, you know, we have our own grid. We have our own currency. We have all these different things. And we say, yeah, it's been fun. It's been nice, but we're going to go our own way. Do you think there's the will in D.C. to come back and say, no, you can't go, and we're not going to let you go? Uh, well, as long as you have a tyrant or a um, desbot or somebody illegitimate... In D.C., they'll always try to keep it federalized. Um, this comes down to the individual with the gun. Does um, the federal troop trying to enforce that want to... Uh, I mean, this is where I'm hoping we can get through this without any bloodshed or shots fired. Right. So that's this is one of the things that I've always tried to parse, right? I think... Then my friends in the TNM and I am one. I am a member. We would love to see a de facto, or I'm sorry, a de jure independence. In other words, Texas reasserts its independence on a national or an international stage through act of law. But before that happens, we have to have a culture of independence. We have to get the people to a point where they understand that we are capable of taking care of ourselves. We don't need Uncle Sugar. We don't need federal aid we we are capable of doing these things on our own which is one of my things is we, we got to focus on that first and foremost and through that process we can get de facto independence because this is what what i brought up earlier right essentially the state of washington has de facto independence on several things i mean they've literally told the feds tough we're not going to do it colorado same thing were those court decisions, or was that the their no, legislature? No, their state doing... legislature just so, said we're going to do it till fall. So then that's nullification, right? Or oh, we're not allowed to talk about that. Oh, uh, they just blocked this whole show. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the algorithm won't go no, no, but no, I, but but realistically, yes, it it always comes down to the idea of interposition and nullification, right? That's essentially what Hawaii just did. They nullified an opinion from from the uh, Supreme Court of the United States. And essentially they nullified federal law at the same time. And I think it's a good thing. And the, the balkanization that you're referring to is a way to keep peace, right? One of the Brian McClanahan's comments on, is on this. Federalism is what allows the union. If Illinois wants to do certain things the way they want it done in Illinois, Fine, let Illinois do its thing. Why should Texas care about what California is doing? Mm -hmm. Why should New York worry about what Virginia does? Why should Florida care about what Oregon does? We should all be allowed to do certain things to our own advantage 
and let things sort itself out, which was the whole premise of the federal government just going to do these few couple things and now it's inverted, right? The whole situation's inverted. The states have very little authority and power, but the feds do it all. The feds mandate all this stuff. And, you know, so as a, going back to your hypothetical sitting congressman, I would almost like to see a congressman say, yeah, you know what? This isn't our authority. We ought not be doing this. As a matter of fact, I would highly encourage my home state to just tell them to go pound sand, whether it's the Texas Supreme Court, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, or even the Texas State Legislature, unfortunately under the current leadership of the state legislature. And the GOP. In the House. (laughs) Well, I mean, didn't they shoot down, y'all, we're going to have a referendum and it didn't get enough signatures or some hiccup? That's that's an entirely different sort of story. But... I don't follow it like you and well, Daniel. I'll, I'll say this. Yeah. The, the GOP... I think this country has to hit rock bottom. Did, I think yeah. we have to lose our Netflix. We have to lose the power <laughs> grid. We have to have the economy crash before people finally wake up and decide we need to exert our freedom and independence. Because right now, if you can still go to the cowboy game or you can still go to the grocery store, I don't know. I mean... Uh, I would go as far as to say we need to be setting up um, committees of safety and observance and correspondence because our local governments are failing us. Is it the local government itself that's failing or is it the restrictions and rules put upon them from higher up the chain of command? Well, like for instance, I campaigned in 2022 over masks and my own city council in Plano did not shoot down. They voted, I think, it should have been nine to zero no masks. I think they voted six to three or five to four to encourage a mask. So if that's coming from higher up that, oh, you're not going to get some yeah. kind of federal subsidy if you don't go along with the plan. I just, I, I wish our local people would have overwhelmingly said, no, we're not doing a mask. It's ridiculous. But everybody, I mean. So, Okay, let's, so let's revisit that because it's interesting that you bring that up because that's essentially local nullification, right? So the state governments banded together and created the federal government. Likewise, all the state governments create the county governments and the city governments. So they're subservient to the state, but much like these so-called sanctuary cities, they told the state government and for that matter, the federal government, we don't care what you say, we're going to do this anyway, yet... None of our people were willing to stick their neck out. Now, to his credit, our county judge said, well, no, all businesses are, mm-hmm. you yeah, know. Yeah. Chris Hill creds for he, that. He stuck up for that. Of course, my city mayor, he took action prior to the governor, and he plays it off like, well, I got tricked. The mm. governor was going to come out, and I just happened to beat him to the punch because he came out a day later. My point is, that's fine, but the city has a responsibility to its constituents in the city. And let's just say hypothetically, being really nice, that nobody knew what was going to happen for that two weeks. And I've, I've had this conversation mm-hmm. many, many times. We're going to give you a mulligan. The first two weeks, panic ensued and everybody mm-hmm. lost their head. Mm-hmm. And you said, you can't go anywhere. Everything has to shut down and you must wear a mask. Well, after two weeks, and we saw it was mostly BS. Mm-hmm. I mean, people still died, people got sick, Mm -hmm. but it was nowhere near what they said. Those cities did nothing. 
Well, and you had Colleyville or Southlake out there. I think they were bucking Abbott's. Uh, they they refused to shut down and close for anything before. I think there was a court decision, basically uh, handcuffing them and but again, tyranny. You've made you made your uh, decision. Come and enforce it. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I would have liked to have seen something like that. We really didn't. We had individuals that stood up, and I'll tell you. I mean, I was among probably a couple dozen people in the city that are like, yeah, we're done. You know, we played nicely for the first couple weeks because we didn't really know what was going on. But after that, we're like, are you going to be open? Yeah, we'll be there. We're going to come there and spend money Mm -hmm. just because you're open. And really, I think we brought it to an end much faster in Collin County than other places. You know, and then Abbott kept the thing in place so he could keep getting the money from the feds. Which part of me understands it's a game. But the other part is... It was disgusting. I mean, the, the it wasn't real anymore. We should have just quit playing the game. I mean... I called it January 1st, 2020. I had just landed that morning from Peru. And there was rumblings in 2019 about a Wuhan flu and this, that, and the other. I told people, I said, this is the intentional takedown of the United States. And people were like, oh, no, this will blow over. And I, I guess I, I don't even have a, a crystal ball, but I said... The masks are coming. This is January, February. I said the masks are coming. And then the masks came for passengers in May. Then it was July 2020 for everybody else, airline employees. And I said, this is a placeholder for the shots. And nailed it. And so, I don't know. I'm not not a psychic, but I just kind of... I mean, but you just have to look at history to see most of this, right? So, I mean... It was a fe- it was a total federal overreach, and this goes back to the three letter agencies with their rulemaking authority. Oh yes, so so while we're on that topic, for the listeners out there, I'm going to have to get my readers or no no I'll read I'll read them to you I'll read them to you this this can we're going to have a little fun here in the last minute or two. Okay, so these are the Republican primary ballot propositions. Now, unfortunately, they didn't give us the ability to vote whether or not Texas is going to or should. Redeclare its independence, but that's not there. So let's go with what is here. Texas should eliminate property taxes without increasing the overall tax burden. Eliminate property taxes without eliminating the tax burden. Without increasing the overall tax burden. Yes, that falls under a Texas constitutional amendment though, right? Well, essentially it would have to be, but this is just, remember, this is basically a poll of do you think this is a good idea or not? Because apparently we in the Texas legislature don't really know. And we're too chicken to actually take action, even as good Republicans. Taxation's theft. <laughs> so, yeah, repeal it. <laughs> but this is these questions are like test-taking 101. You really yeah, yeah. have to. Oh, sure. Well, but, but the knee-jerk response is almost always supposed to be yes. That's why they word it this way. And they know that if they've got it on the ballot and they word it to get the yes, they can justify their actions in the next term, which to a degree I'm grateful for. I I mean, they're giving themselves cover, but it's really cowardly. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's the right thing to do, it's the right thing to do. Of course, I might have said that in my episode that's coming out today. Um, Texans should create a border protection unit and deploy additional state law enforcement and military forces to seal the border and to use physical force to prevent illegal entry and trafficking and deport illegal aliens to Mexico in the nation's origin. I kind of thought we already had a law that stated this. I don't know why it's even a well, question. Well, it's in the Constitution, <laughs> Article 4, Section 4. But yeah, and why wasn't Abbott um, enforcing that three, four years ago? 
Well, it wasn't politically advantageous three or four years ago. Come on now. All right. I'm sorry. And then the next one is Texas legislature should require the use of E-Verify by all employers in Texas to protect jobs for for legal workers by preventing the hiring of illegal aliens. Now, that was um, that was in the bill that Massey voted no to. Because, but that was a federal level. This is Texas, yeah. right? Well, that question, though, I would have to see the bill's language if I was in the legislature. You know what I right. mean? Well, I mean, they can be exploited. But exactly. And again, the E-Verify, essentially police state. Yep. With, I mean, and that's why Massey, yeah, yeah, voted it down. So these things sound good, and they're worded. So mm-hmm. your knee-jerk response is yes, but the the proof is in the pudding, right? Mm-hmm. The Texas legislature should end all subsidies and public services and in-state tuition and enrollment to public schools to illegal aliens. I, I, nobody should give anything to an illegal alien. <laughs> I, again, well, why is this even a question? <laughs> Um, Texas urges the United States Congress not to grant any form of amnesty or pathway to legalization for illegal aliens. Yeah, DACA is um, unconstitutional, and I think the Supreme Court's fixing to hear a case on that to repeal it. Well, that would be nice. Uh, Texas legislature should prohibit the... Now, this is... uh, Now, I'll finish. Should prohibit the deployment of the Texas National Guard to a foreign conflict unless Congress has first formally declared war. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, we don't need to be sending troops to go fight unconstitutional wars. Yeah, I mean, they need to stay here. That, that's also, uh, I think it's called the Defend the Guard Act. Mm-hmm. They, they passed something like this, I want to say, in Missouri. Mm-hmm. And again, this is a no-brainer. Why would we be sending the National Guard to an undeclared mm-hmm. war mm-hmm. when we have our own issues, well, namely our own border? That's what we did in Iraq and Afghanistan. My dad in the Texas Air National Guard as a flight surgeon deployed to the sandbox a few times. Yeah. Okay, uh, number seven here. Texas legislature should establish authority within the Texas State Comptroller's Office to administer access to gold and silver through the Texas Bullion Depository for use as legal tender. I thought they already had. I thought there was a law already on Texas books for that in the bunkers in Dallas. I'd have to look more up. Well, I'd have to look that up. What's interesting mm-hmm. to me, going to the whole uh, de facto independence, we already have our own electric grid that covers the vast majority of Texas. And if we create our own legal tender, I mean. We need to get rid of the people that run ERCOT because they're in Michigan and in Canada. And then the legal tender, isn't there something in the Constitution, though? That, anyway. I'd have to we can use me. gold and silver, yeah, yeah, yeah. but the federal government is the only one that can coin. Yeah. But, okay. Uh, state of Texas. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Proposition 8. The state of Texas should ensure that Texans are free to give or withhold consent for any vaccine without coercion. Yeah, I'm against any mandate, so. But, again, this is a really stupid question. I mean, oh, on, I what, know. on what planet do you get to coerce well, somebody? I mean... If that's on electro, I don't know, man. That's probably another way to enforce tyranny on us because somebody's going to get confused. And Well, this is saying that they can't make you do it without your consent. That goes back to the Nuremberg Code, so yeah. Exactly, right? So why are we having to rehash this? Um, here's another one. The Republican Party of Texas should restrict voting in the Republican primary to only registered Republicans. In other words, should we finally close the primary? <laughs> Oh, I thought that just meant like an open primary. Like no, it could be. We currently uh, have an open primary. They're saying, should we finally go back and close the primary? Since you know, 
It's a Republican state, and everybody oh, goes... Oh, well, but mm, you got people like me that are hardcore constitutionalists that aren't given their proper credit, and so... Well, that's, you know, I, I understand. I do. But, like, here in Collin County, we have Democrats voting in our primaries all day long, which is why we keep some of the incumbents we get, mm. because they go and uh, vote for the weak sauce. Mm. All right. The, te the Texas Constitution should be amended to restore the authority of the Texas Attorney General to prosecute election crimes. So this goes back to the Texas Supreme Court deciding that the Texas Constitution doesn't allow for the uh, Attorney General to go prosecute crimes uh, in elections. That's only the purview of the uh, DA for the specific county. But when you got a dirty DA, like, yeah. oh, I don't know, every major city... Uh, they're never going to prosecute think, their own people. I think Paxton talked about that with his uh, interview on Tucker. Yeah, for sure. I just, but again, this seems like really a silly question. Why do we even need it? I mean, that's there, but not whether or not Texas ought to consider or discuss. I think this is all ideological subversion. It's the takedown. Yeah. And then Texas parents should and guardians should have the right to select schools, whether public or private, for their children, and funding should follow the student. Mm -hmm. Now, Here's a curious thing on this. I see this as a trap because I don't know what your familiarity is with private schools, but private schools, they get certain cities, they get vouchers or whatever. And once they get that money coming in, oh, they, they become less. dependent uh, on that money. And then they start attaching more and more strings. Well, there might not be any strings at the beginning, but now. Oh, we're yeah. So, I mean, this is a trap. No, that's a good thought process. I yeah. Like I mean, granted that. All right, Texas Constitution should be amended to require proof of citizenship before any individual can be registered to vote. Yeah. I mean, again, why is this even a question? Well, and that goes back to the three federal laws I said we should uh, repeal because the Motor Voter Act is giving these people driver's licenses and then yeah, it just well, trickles down. Okay, last one and a follow-up on that real quick. Texas should ban the sale of Texas land to citizens, governments, and entities from China, Iran, North Korea, and Russia. And uh, subversive, subversive CEOs like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, yes. Well, <laughs> we so need to add a little the, more to that. Yeah, well, that, again, that, to me, that's kind of a slippery slope thing. Mm -hmm. But So, on the Constitution, for proof of citizenship. So, you know, so Abbott was playing this game where he was shipping these folks to blue states, or blue cities, more appropriately. Which was funny and kind of was proven a point but the more he ships there the more they get their driver's license and their paperwork from these blue cities and, guess and they're going to be hard to extract and get out right and then they go wherever they want mm -hmm. and then once they're there they can go register to vote and you know the, the number mm -hmm. is somewhere between 9 and 10 million people have come across the border in the last 3 years Trump I mean, said it's going to go at 18 yeah I mean yeah, it's, it's going to get bad fast alright so I think we covered everything. Anything yeah. uh, you want to... Well, how did you want to... Um, what was the closing or... So I apologize. Uh, let's jump in. You've got uh, your little closing thoughts or whatever. And again, this is kind of based on the premise that, hey, I got elected to Congress. What can I actually legitimately do and accomplish? So how would... How oh, that's my closing statement? I thought this was to well, plug you, my... Uh... You can definitely do that too. Just... So we, we've covered the things that you legitimately could do, which is those three federal laws that interfere with elections. And basically, 
be the trumpet saying that all these things are really stupid and bad and we shouldn't be doing these things. So aside from... I know, think we need to get... I think um, we need to drain the swamp. Um, there's too many lobbyists. Uh, I can name them specifically. There's too many political packs like Club for Growth, Eagle Forum. Club for Growth, uh, people that I favor are getting donations for Club for Growth. And President Trump has said Club for Growth will send our country to hell faster than its current state. Uh, the military-industrial complex. I mean, war is profitable for these people. And I'm an isolationist or non-interventionist. We don't need to be engaging in war unless uh, we declare war and we're directly attacked. I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you for just a second here. Yes. Just to clarify. Yeah. I probably shouldn't do this, but it's no, my clarify. show. I can do what I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sir, yes, so, sir. Wait, when you say the term isolationist, I would highly recommend you don't say that. I know what you mean by that. The general public maybe can figure out. But if you just say you're a non-interventionist, that covers it. Okay. I mean, that was one of the things that Ron Paul was extremely good at. Yeah. We're not isolationists. We should trade and be friends yes. with everybody. Yes. But we're not going to intervene in these things. Right. We, we need to stay out. So, uh, to your point, I'm sorry. I interrupted. No, no, that's... But you just, just better stated what I was trying to get across. Okay, go on. <laughs> um, let's see. To reiterate from the debates, I'm the only native on the ballot. Raised and schooled in Plano. Went to the police academy in McKinney, and my granddad worked for 30 years at E-Systems during the Cold War. Um, and I fight back against a weaponized government. We also need to denounce and rebuke, or reboot, rebut, I should say, any uh, globalist initiative. I think everything we talked about this evening, um, like the Hawaii legislature, uh, conflict down at the border. I think this is all pushing one world order where they want the United Nations to come in and save us all. And I, I'm an anti-globalist. We don't need to... There were surveys I did. We need to get out of the UN. Thomas Massey drafted a bill to get out of the UN. In fact, we should probably evict them, but that's taken on a lot of globalists like the Rockefellers. That was their land. So... Um, to close this up or final thoughts yeah um, I'm very humbled that Stephen Callis called <laughs> me up and asked me if I wanted to be on his show this was fun I'd like to do it again um, I wish we could have more congressional debates other states their primaries go into May and June ours is a short 12 weeks and I just wish I had more time to Hammer the Constitution and hammer that freedom isn't free. And in closing, for those of you who don't know me, um, I'm humbled to be here. This wasn't easy. It wasn't fun. It's downright terrifying challenging the local GOP, but I'm doing it for each and every one of you. And I won't elaborate, but if they can come for me, they can come for you. And uh, quote Trump, nevertheless, I take all these slings and arrows gladly for you. I take it. For all of us, so we can take our country back to save America and take, save the Texas 3rd Congressional District. Ivanovsky for Congress. I'm, hum I'm humbled that Stephen had me on his program tonight. And, and just one last <laughs> clarification here, buddy. <laughs> you're, you're saying that the challenge was the actual running for the election, not being on the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> running, running in the primary. Well, because as a, as a true grassroots candidate who doesn't take who's not involved in any PAC or the military industrial complex or some of the groups that I don't necessarily 
get involved with. Um, I mean, I asked for help back in 2021 when I got involved in this, and I had so many doors slammed in my face. I had to learn the federal election laws getting into this. I had to turn, learn the Texas laws to get into this. I mean, I had to learn all this my own, on my own. I Nobody showed me. I had to learn how to set this up with the IRS. I had to learn how to get with the House Ethics Committee, the Federal Election Commission. I had to learn you go down to Austin to file because our election laws are governed by the legislature. I mean, it's not easy. Yeah, and nobody helped me. So, y'all, I am self-taught. And I'm hoping to be a self-taught podcaster once, um, according to Callis, shows me the ropes. And this was a good start. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. I, you know, I... I think this was the most fun podcast I've been on, and I was on Scott McKay's Patriot Street Fighter podcast. I'm trying to get on louder with Crowder. But to date, this is the most fun I've had. Yeah, you know, and I always say it this way, you know, if you can't have fun and you can't treat people fairly and uh, with respect, they're never going to talk to you. And I, I will say that we've gone almost an hour and a half, uh, very few gaps or blurbs, if you will. And most of it's been substantive. It's we try to be a little entertaining. I, I, you know, I did have a little bit of fun at your expense. Yeah, I, I, and I might have gone long-winded and then been like, "What was the yeah. question again?" <laughs> no worries. <laughs> but at the end of the day, we know that in November, uh, if we choose to vote, which I will, but if we should choose to vote, because we have really no better choice. With the way our elections are set up, we're going to go in and pull the deal for whoever's got the R after their name. Um, although I will admit that at times I may skip a slot or two, particularly if they're running unopposed. But, you know, you got to take the, uh, the lesser of evils. That's what we're stuck with. It's still evil. But it's the lesser evil. I wouldn't be challenging an incumbent if they would just hardcore stick to the Constitution. Um, a hit piece was done on me out of KETR Radio in Commerce. And it put in quotes that I was a constitutional conservative. Well, go look up the definition of that. It's a strong adherence to the Constitution, individual liberty, limited government and i mean it's everything that we talked about on that's the absolutely show. terrible why in the world would you want to be that yeah it's like oh. marginal it's but it is marginalization it is. there you go yeah so well, it's part of the overton window right if you're not out there talking if you're not out there engaging and bringing these issues up they get swept under the rug people forget they are there they forget that they matter and they do nothing and that's the primary problem with our conservatives our Republicans, is they won't defend anything. They won't hold the ground. And this is why I had a good time, not only on According to Callus Podcast, but at the debates. That's my, that's my soapbox. And I don't know if your uh, listeners have heard of the four boxes of liberty. This goes back to 1830, but there's the soapbox, which you allowed me to get on the soapbox. There's the voting box, which uh, I think that's kind of compromised right now. We have the jury box which that can be jury nullification go, could go either way. And then we have the cartridge box. And I, I pray to God, I hope to God it never comes to that because that's a revolutionary act. The, my audience has heard that. A okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> I must have missed a few podcasts then. <laughs> well, I will tell you that to that end, there are people I know that are gung-ho for a civil war or they're gung-ho for, 
you know, secession that brings upon a war. And I keep trying to caution these folks. You don't know what you're asking for. This is the worst possible outcome. It'd be far worse than you could possibly imagine. You don't want to go there, which is, which is why for me personally, I pivot to the de facto independence versus de jure. And I harp on the idea that we have to have a culture of independence because none of it is possible without a culture of independence. And at least since the 60s, our federal government has done everything they could to wipe out any independence that was left in our nation and in our culture. So I'm glad to know I'm not the only one that one, values the Constitution, two, speaks of the Constitution, references it, has a certain amount of reverence for it, and wants to use it as the proper tool that it was designed as, and doesn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So with that, let's wrap it up. Uh, thank you, uh, Jeremy, for coming by. It was a pleasure. And uh, enjoyed it. When we get those uh, other situations resolved that we didn't discuss, yeah, perhaps we'll have, do a follow-up. Yeah, and I would, talk about I would that look forward length. to that. All right, I'm going to sign it off. As I say, I'll see you on the other side. <laughs>